Philippians 4. Found your pew Bibles on page 955, beginning to read at verse 10, and we will read to the end of the book. Page 955, Philippians 4, verses 10 and following. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that you have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The friends who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of the emperor's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So we've learned a lot over these last 10 weeks. We have learned that the God who began a good work among us will be faithful to complete it. We have learned that living is Christ and dying is gain. We have learned that we are to do everything without murmuring or complaining. We have learned that we have participation not only in believing in Christ Jesus, but also in sharing in his sufferings. We have learned that we are to shine like stars in the universe, that we are citizens of heaven, that we are to strain toward what is ahead and forget what is behind, that everything is counted as loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. We have learned that Jesus Christ was humbled and he was exalted. We have learned many things. And tonight, Paul tells us that he's been learning things along the way too. And in order to really understand what Paul's learning was about, I need three, actually, let's go with four volunteers. Four volunteers, come on up and help me. Great, come on up, come on up. Yes, excellent. Great, good. Good, you stay right there, that's perfect. You hold that sign. Francesca, you come up here. Excellent. You're gonna be here for a while, so this is your throne, should you need it, all right? Come on over here. No, 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 you stay there, actually. You come over here. <laughs> you be a Philippian with him and share that sign. All right, this is who you are. All right, all right, now show your signs to everybody so everybody can see who you are. 
All right? Got it? All right. Who's this over here? Great. And over here we've got? And this is? Yes. You thought she was just a Barnabas, but no. All right. So what happens here is that this is the very end of the letter, right? This is the end of the letter. And the point of the letter has been to thank the Philippians for the gifts that they sent to Paul. That's been the point of the letter, one of many. Now, normally when you write a thank you note to somebody, you say relatively early in the note, hey, thank you. Well, you can go through the entire book of Philippians and find out that Paul actually doesn't say that. In fact, we get here to the end of the book, and what he says is, oh, yeah, you know, you sent me that stuff that was really great. I really didn't need it because I've learned to be content and everything, but, you know, it was nice of you to share in my distress. (laughs) And there are are people who read that, that Paul wrote that, and think, well, Paul's being a little, you know, ungrateful over there. He's... I mean, come on, these people sacrificed for him. He even tells everybody that these people were more loyal and more helpful to him than other people. Why doesn't he just say thank you? Why this kind of like, well, you know, I really didn't need it because I've learned so much and I'm so mature now that I'm all good. Well, there are two big reasons. One of them is the Philippians over here are well-meaning, earnest, lovely people, but they are indeed Paul's students, in a sense. He is the founder of the church. He is their leader. He's the guy who's put it all together, so in a sense, he is their teacher. Now, in the social conventions of the day, it would be very inappropriate for a student to send a gift to the teacher and then have the teacher respond with, well, thank you, I really needed that. Because that would mean that the student and the teacher were equals. And the teacher could become indebted to the student. And well, we just couldn't have that. Because students are not above their teachers. (laughs) So that's one reason why he kind of shades his gratitude in this like, yeah, I got this stuff, it was really great, my account's paid in full, Um, it's all good, I didn't really need it anyway, it's nice of you, though, thanks. Not really, but kind of. That's, that's, that's why. The societal norms of the day. But the other reason that scholars think he kind of couches it in this way is because he wants to say that the matter of giving and receiving is very different for Christian people than it is for everybody else. Now, in the text in Philippians 4, he actually uses language from business, the idea of giving and receiving, of accounts paid in full, But what he adds between the giver and the receiver is a third party. He says, it's not just that you gave to me, but he says, what I'm really looking forward to is that your account gets credited by God. And in fact, your gift to me is also a fragrant offering to God. So it's not just that you give to me, It's that God motivates the Philippians to give to Paul, who then worships God. (laughs) And 
the Philippians, by their act of giving, actually sent it out in two directions, the gift to Paul and the worship, the fragrant offering to God. This was very unusual to think about God working through other people, that God could be animating all of these relationships, that it wasn't just horizontal, that it wasn't just a back and forth, but that God was very involved in moving through the Philippians so that they would be bearers of grace in the life of Paul. But one of the important things that he also wants to teach them is that it's okay if they're not here at all. I have learned, he says, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. And the word that he uses there for learned really means initiated. I've been initiated into the understanding of contentment. This does not mean that he went willingly. This does not mean that he signed up for this. This means at the end of his life, he's saying, I have learned, I have been initiated, I've gone through the hazing, I now understand how to be content. He uses the word initiate because the Philippians would have known that the mystery cults and religions of their day initiated people into their rites. But these were so mysterious, nobody even knows what they were like today. Scholars are still trying to figure out what these religions were about. But the one thing that was common in all of those pagan religions was that they had an initiation rite. And the initiation rite would cost you something. And so when Paul says, I have learned to be content, he's saying, I have been initiated into this truth. Because when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we know that this was not a content man. The first time he comes on the scene is at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen's a good guy. He's a Christian. He's loved by the disciples. They're stoning him, and they lay their coats at the feet of a young man who at that time was named Saul. This is Acts 8. That day a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered through the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. And then it says this at the start of Acts 9. Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anybody who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This is not a man who was practiced in contentment. This was not a contemplative. This was somebody who, if he disagreed with your stance in theology, would kill you. He would hunt you down because he thought what he was doing was right. And even after his conversion, 
the drive that led him to be someone who was out there chasing down what he thought was the truth, led him to be the one who went out there preaching to everybody he could. A crazy, obsessed evangelist. That's who he becomes. So he becomes a follower of Christ. The Christians aren't so keen on him. They don't really believe that, he, that he's part of their team. So he's got to hang out with them for a while, and he eventually, over time, they start to trust him, they start to teach him, they send him out on missionary journeys. And as we all know, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, everything in your life starts to go swimmingly. This is what it was like for our friend Paul. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with wads. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters. I think that's his Dr. Seuss moment there, actually. I just hear, do you hear it? It's like, in a house, in a house. In toil and hardship, through many nights, hers hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked, and besides other things, I'm under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. Not very content yet, is he? But then this is what happens to him. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ, for whenever I am weak, then I am strong. When Paul writes Philippians, it's after he's written 2 Corinthians. It's toward the end of his life. And he turns toward the Philippians. And the Philippians turn toward him. And he says, you need to understand that I cannot rely on you. I cannot rely on you because the danger when I rely on you is that I move from here over here. Nope, face them. Perfect. And you face him. Excellent. And the danger is that instead of seeing you as a conduit of God's grace, you actually block my view of God. And I continue to rely on you and think, when is the mail going to come? When's the next package? Where is Epaphroditus? When are these people going to show up for Pete's sake? And so instead, he says, I have learned to be content in all things. I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. And it is this. 
I can do all things through the one who infuses me with strength. I have learned to be content in all circumstances because I am in union with the one who infuses me with strength. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Philippians. You have a great Calvin sweatshirt on. Would you be my other person? Show the, everybody the sign. Got it? Contentment is a hard lesson to learn. It's a very hard lesson to learn because there are many things in our lives that we are invited to participate in, many good things that we are told will help us out. Many things that we are invited to look for and seek and hunger after. And these are good things. Playing with your friends, good things. Going deep in relationship, good things. Romance, good thing. Grades, good things. Sports, music, health, family, your future, all good things. All wonderful things. All things through which God can infuse us with grace. All good things that can be opportunities for us to worship God. All good things. But the danger is, everybody shift a little bit this way. Excellent. But the danger is that we start to look at all the things and it completely blocks our view of God. And we start to think, that's good. <laughs> little improv, I like that. Yes, and. <laughs> it blocks our view of God. And we start to focus on one of the things, like, let's say that. And we think, I don't have a boyfriend. My life is meaningless. <laughs> Everyone else has boyfriends. Why don't I have a boyfriend? I'm a senior. It's time. <laughs> and we become assessed and we become a little nutty, and all of our focus is on that thing. Right there, right there. Not in him. I mean, it could be. Y'all know each other? Gary, what's your name? Stephanie. Stephanie? Gary, Gary, Stephanie. And we're back. Let's look at the focus. All of our focus can be on this thing to the point where we forget about the other things. Or all of our focus could be on this thing who would imagine that, that our focus could just be on that thing? Hold it up high, Damon, so people can see what it is. Hold it up high, high. Swirl it around, like show it off. There you go. That's what I'm talking about, right? We can get a little nutty about that thing to the point where we think, if I don't have that thing, I can't be content. Because if I don't get that thing right, the rest of my life is going to go to horrible places. <laughs> or this thing. We become obsessed about this thing. Every time when there's academic advising, all of your Facebook posts are like, yes, very good. All of your Facebook posts are like, I don't know what I'm going to major in. 
I need time, I have to pick classes. What should I do? And we just become assessed about the thing, especially as time marches on and we think, I need to get into graduate school. I need to have a plan for my life. I'm 20 years old, I should know what I'm doing for the next 60 years. <laughs> and we can just become obsessed about this thing. And what happens when we get focused on health, or we get focused on our athletic career, or we get focused on how we're doing in music, or we get focused on family stuff, is that all of it, which was originally intended to be a conduit of the grace of God, instead becomes a source of incredible anxiety. Because we see these things as our source of contentment. I will be content when. I will be content when I am freed from this depression. I will be content when, that's the depression one, I will be content when my parents finally work out their problems. I will be content when I achieve my goal as an athlete. I will be content when I have a higher than a 3.5 GPA. I will be content when I have more Facebook friends than anybody else I know. I will be content when I play more than I do now. I will be content when. And anytime we put a conditional statement on I will be content when, we are missing the teaching of Paul who is saying, you learn to be content by moving away from those things and focusing completely on God. And if God chooses to use these beautiful things as a conduit of his grace, then they do so in a way that is a sacrifice, a fragrant offering to him, so that if all of these things are turned toward God, and their presence in your life is an act of worship, something that moves you closer to God. And then there's something that draws you closer to God. Excellent, well done. Draws you closer to God. Then you are able to enjoy the riches of God meeting all your needs, not because these things are in your life, but because even when they are not, you are focused on the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything in your life right now tells you to not be content. And that's a lie. And another lie that we often believe as followers of Jesus Christ is that if we get our lives in order, if we obey, if we're the best possible people, then all these things will come to us. And that is not true. You learn to be content through hardship and struggle and the stripping away of all the things you thought you could never live without. Paul learned to be content because God kept moving his life around and making his reliance on things, not the Philippians and not people, but only on the grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It is so tempting for you to go home this weekend and people are going to ask you questions about your life. What are you majoring in? 
Really? What are you going to do with that? <laughs> this is your answer. I'm going to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what you say. Because we worship a God who in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has given us everything we will ever need. Everything we will ever need. Hope for the future and intimacy with a sovereign who loves us and calls us by name. He has allowed us to be washed clean from sin. He has plunged us in the waters of baptism and set us free. He has given you everything you need. I have learned to be content, says Paul, and it was a hard lesson to learn. But I also know this, that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Jesus Christ. The classical letters in Greek often end with the Greek word for strength. Be strong in your own power. The letter of Paul to the Philippians ends this way. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Will you pray with me? Oh God, there are so many things that seek to block our view of you and seek to get in the way of our connection with you. And we believe the lies that say that if we are obedient, good things will happen. And we know from the life of Paul that when we are obedient, we are yours. And sometimes you take us through dark valleys and you show us that you never leave us or abandon us. And sometimes you leave us, lead us to high mountains and you show us there that you will never leave us or abandon us. So forgive us, gracious God, when we rely too much on the things of the world and we turn away from you. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ who forgives our sins and leads us into all righteousness. And we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that never gives up and is constantly leading us into more love of you. We pray Gracious God, that you will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.